Welcome to another episode of Edgardo's podcast. Today I'm doing a live stream on Instagram as I record my show. This is fun. This is pretty different. Anywho, I hope you're having a great day. It is Tuesday, 29th of September, 2020. And today, Saturn stations direct in Capricorn. In this place, it requires you to claim your karma. That's right. Today provides either a burden or an opportunity. It's time for you to take ownership of your past and of your mistakes. Have you learned from them? Have you let them go? That is what we're going to talk about today. Things that we can't let go of. And one of those things is dragons. Another one of those things is UFOs. Another one of those things is the supernatural. Why is there an affinity to all this stuff? People want to believe in things that they can't explain? Or is it that people have seen things that they can't explain and they wish that their best friend was there so they could have seen it? Well, that is a pickle. Let's go over here real quick to the website. And let's do a quick search. Let's see what comes up when I type in UFOs. UFO. Sightings 2020. Okay. The most recent one that is for sure, for sure, is the TikTok UFO. I don't know if you've heard of that TikTok UFO. But that seems to be the most, um, the most convincing one. It has a lot of track. TikTok. I meant to say Tic Tac, the Tic Tac UFO, because it looks like a little Tic Tac. And it's just hovering through space and it just takes off. It just, it was sighted by American military officers and they don't lie. They tell the truth. Now you can go on the deep web and you can go on a dark hole, a rabbit hole of searching and seeing what's out there. But let me do that for you. So let's go ahead and I typed in UFO sightings 2020 on Microsoft Bing. And I got Japanese military pilots are ordered to report UFO sighting four hours ago. Whoa, here we go. Do I accept the cookies? I, I'll accept cookies, I guess. Send me some cookies. An unexplained balloon-like object in the skies above Sendai in Japan earlier this year, which prompted theories about the UFOs in North Korea. Oh my God. This is according to MSN.com. You can look this up yourself. Since 2009, they've been sighting. Oh my God. My soul rod on the triangle shaped UFO and went to Venus while she was asleep. Apparently, Miyuki Hitoyama described the very beautiful planet in a book called Very Strange Things I've Encountered. There you go. If you want to get your hands on Miyuki Hitoyama's new book, very strange things I've encountered. She goes into detail about her visiting Venus. Now, according to Carl Sagan, we could theoretically live on the clouds of Venus. That's very possible. Wouldn't that be cool though? I see a future where we're a multi-planet species. Like some of us live on Venus, some of us live on Mars, some of us live on Titan. I think we're heading towards that direction. Well, that's pretty cool. In August, the Pentagon said it was setting up a new task force under the U.S. Navy to investigate UFO sighting. And they're also developing the Space Force, if you've heard of that. You don't know what the Space Force is? The Space Force is a brand new program, not developed by Trump, but is being supported by the Trump administration. And it's to investigate the paranormal UFO sightings that's going on. Um, they believe that this stuff is real. There's news out there uh, that... This does exist, that aliens are real, that extraterrestrial beings do walk among us. Are they from underground? Are they from another planet, another dimension? We have a lot of questions. That's pretty cool. Oh, look, here, here he goes. With the creation of the Unified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, or acronym UAPTF, or more like AP. 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 That's what my father says if I tell him about aliens. Like, yeah, right. The Department of Defense hopes it to improve its undergoing understanding and to get insight into the nature and origins of the UAPS. They don't call them UFOs anymore. They call them UAPS, Unidentified 
aerial phenomenon. Isn't that interesting? We're flooded with information nowadays. Isn't that like the new flood? Opposed to water? It's not water. The new flood is information. We got all this information to pick from, choose from, dissect, interconnect, synergize. You get to, you get to pick and choose what facts you want to live in. But I gotta, I gotta admit, some of this stuff could be real. It's just, at what point do we just, I mean, are we coping with it already? I guess. I think we are coping with it already. It's just, I guess we want to see how aliens look. Then again, what is the mystery? Like, knowing that there's a bigger brother out there or knowing that there's another species out there? Is that what it is? I wonder what it is about. Here, let's do this. For me, why are extraterrestrials so interesting? Hmm. 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 I guess it would give me hope that I can tap into technology that I would see in comic books and in movies. I think the whole art pushes science, science pushes art, the left and the right brain. I think they go hand in hand. I think imagination is a very powerful thing. And if there's a reality out there where there's superhuman creatures, I'd like to tap into that and be a superhero. Are we still there? What happened? Whoa. What was that? Are they tuning in to me right now? Am I being watched? I don't know. I think I am being watched. Aren't we all being watched? Now, there is these individuals around the world that are creating hovercrafts and anti-gravity ships. And they exist. They really do exist. From past research, it seems that the Hitler administration during Nazi Germany was maybe dissecting aliens, but for sure, what is it called when they take technology and they reverse engineer it? Yeah, they were reverse engineering anti-gravity crafts. Can you believe it? I can't. But it seems that if we do see UFOs in the sky or unidentified Phenomenal, what do they call it? UPAs? Unidentified aerial phenomenons. If you do see those in the sky, they're most likely from another government. They're most likely from a very high scale government. They're maybe from a type of Wakanda that's out there. Maybe there's like a secret society out there, a whole secret country, and we don't even know about them. And they don't want to get involved with what we have to evolve what we have to provide or maybe they do i have a lot of questions i would love to interview one of these motherfuckers another one ufo sightings 2020 red aliens caught on video this is on youtube how how much do we trust youtube and why are the aliens always like little green with big eyeballs they're always like big head aliens and big eyeballs why are they like that what makes that the best form of beings? So yeah, right now I'm looking at aliens in jars, aliens that people have seen. And it looks like the little green men, what people say. Little green men. That is trippy. Super trippy. Whoa. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. Another thing that people cannot move away from, dragons. Let's type in dragons on the search engine, see what comes up. Dragons. Oh, I get Wikipedia, I get the mystical creatures. Let me type in dragon sightings. I get the rugby team. I get a football team of some sort. I get an Amazon Game of Thrones fandom. Let's see. Dragon, naturally speaking, tech support. Dragon uh, nuance, free trial. Dragon dictate. Oh, those are programs. Are dragons real? Are dragons real? Yes, I'm a dragon. Are dragons real? 
According to World Atlas, dragon characteristics, dragons are typically depicted as powerful, fearsome. Some dragons have wings, while others don't. Even though it is not clear when and where stories of dragons first emerged, the history of dragons is fascinating. Very fascinating. All over the world, we have stories of dragons. We have stories of dragons in Asia, in the Americas, in Africa, in the Europe's, the Europe's, in Europe, and in Australia. We have dragon stories everywhere. But are they real? And why would we want dragons to be real? Have you ever seen Reign of Fire starring Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale? My favorite dragon movie of all time. Favorite. In this story, or in that movie, it's a future, right? And in this future, it's like post-apocalyptic. And it was destroyed not by nuclear bombs, but by dragons. You see, Christian Bale's mom was an explorer. Uh, and uh, they were exploring these caves that had some sort of mineral or something, right? And they were carbon caves or they were um, coal caves. Yet they found these markings and things that would make an explorer go to explore the caves. And Christian Bill's mom was down there. Not Christian Bill's mom, but the mom in the movie. Christian, Mo Christian Bill's mom went down the elevator to go explore the caves, right? And Christian Bill was on a different elevator, I guess, because he wanted to go see his mom. He was freaking out. But she was already down there. And then the movie starts him going down there and poof, noises happening and destruction happens and the elevator gets stuck. And then all you see is one dragon just fly up and then all this fire happening and this young boy survives, right? Ends up being like a John Connor for them. He ends up playing John Connor in a different movie. That's a different story. But he ends up being a John Connor for these futuristic humans in this fictional world. And he's a hero in London because he's providing shelters, providing, providing a way to, you know, help people survive the dragons. Gerard Butler is also in it. He's his best friend. Christian Bell and Gerard Butler are best friends in this movie. And apparently the dragons were just dormanted. They were just sleeping. And when awoken, they just fucking annihilated the whole world. They just destroyed everything. Ah, fire here. Ah, fire there. Ah, I'm going to eat you. It was crazy. And then here comes good old American Matthew McConaughey, Dragon Slayer, motherfucker. Bam! Killing dragons left and right. Bro, that's a movie to watch. If you're a fan of dragons, go check out Reign of Fire. For its time, it was really good CGI. And for its time, it wasn't a superhero movie. It was a good old-fashioned American-made popcorn, fun at the movies kind of film. That is where it's at. Hmm, let's see. Dragons are very strange creatures. Dragons are fables. You know, let me go over some real-life animals that people do consider them dragons. Like the Komodo dragon or Baronus Komodeinesis. That's a Latin word for Komodo dragon. The Komodo dragon is a super-sized reptile with a nasty bite. According to the BBC.com, it's up to 3 meters long and weighs at as much 70 kilograms. They are the world's biggest lizard. Now that's a dragon. 3 meters long is that long. It, it's beyond my hand span. Like, that motherfucker is longer than my whole wingspan. They can't breathe fire though. Fuck. I wish they could breathe fire. But they kill pigs. They, they kill pigs, deer, water buffalo in their mouths. Damn, this motherfucker can take down a water buffalo. In the past, it was assumed that the bacteria in the saliva caused blood poisoning. But in 2009, scientists have discovered that the Komodo dragon has a venomous saliva. It is not bacteria. It is a venomous saliva that floods the wound infected by the razor sharp teeth. So this guy bites into you and his saliva is so venomous that you start dying. The tale of how the dragon earned their nickname is sustainably legendary. In 1926, when W. Douglas Burden, the grandson of a wealthy railway mag magnet, what? The grandson of a wealthy railway guy, let's just say that, set off to the lower Sudan islands of Indonesia to capture a dozen giant lizards for the American Museum of Natural History. In his memoir, the on the on his memoir of the expedition, Dragon Lizards of Komodo. Oh, that's another good book you can go check out. Dragon Lizards of Komodo. 
by W. Douglas Burden. Burden described one animal as a hoary custard, black as dead lava, whose very aspect spoke of indefinite existence. Oh my God. He also detailed his wife's damsel in distress moment when she was rescued from a dragon by the gun of a fellow explorer. The adventure immortalized the Komodo dragon and inspired the film King Kong. What? I did not know that. Look at that. We're learning facts together, you and I. I'm going to read that again. The adventure immortalized the Komodo dragon and inspired the film King Kong. I definitely got to go check that out. Dragon Lizards of Komodo by W. Douglas Burden. That's a good book. I like this book a little bit better than The Lady from Korea about UFOs. Seems a little bit more earthy. All right, here we go. Another animal that looks like a dragon, according to people, is a dragon snake or Xenodermus javanicus. Credit this to the scientists that discovered that motherfucker. He looks cool. He's it's basically a snake and it has rigid it has rigid skin like like a dragon. It has rigid skin like a dragon. It's called the dragon snake. The dragon snake is a native to Indonesia, Malaysia, and sometimes turns up in Thailand and Myanmar. It is a mysterious species that goes by several names, including Javan mud snake, Javan tuperco snake, and rough bagged little snake. Its mythical name was inspired by its characteristic scales. Xenodermus means strange skin and refers to the rows of knobby black scales that run in its rigid sides down the sides of the snake. Dragon snakes commonly measure two feet. So it would be maybe ooh, 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 maybe like this big? No. Two feet. How big is two feet? Oh, about that big. About that big. Yeah. I wouldn't want it as a pet. There is only one species of a dragon snake. In 2013, a genetic analysis suggested that there are sister groups to the primitive aquatic fire snake of Australia and Indonesia. Despite being discovered way back in 1836 and hunting on rice paddies, not much is known about dragon snakes. They mostly hunt at night for frogs. They don't eat water buffaloes. They don't have to. They're two feet tall or two feet long. All right, here we go. Another real-life animal that looks like a dragon. You can look these up. They're freaking cool. I'm not going to show you because I don't want to get, like, banned or something. I'm just going to speak about them. Okay. Bearded, bearded dragons, or Pongna SP, Central Bearded Dragons. Bearded dragons are a favorite with pet owners around the world. What? I can have a bearded... Oh, my God. I'm going to get a bearded dragon as a pet? Oh, yeah. This is exciting. Look at these motherfuckers. Oh, look at this puppy. So these guys are like little lizards and they have like a big mouth and they have like they have like a, a beard, but it's not a beard, it's like a skin and it's like edgy and stuff. It's pretty cool. Bearded dragons are favorite with pet owners. Okay, I already said that. Their species, there's eight of them and they all come from Australia. These dragon puffs out their throat and create an imposing rough spike scale. This beard also turns black during courtship, aggression, and times of stress. Ooh. Get it on or fight. In 2014, it emerged that the central bearded dragon actually changes its shape in sync with the circadian rhythm. Mm. It starts the day dark and becomes progress progressively lighter, appearing cream at night. The color change may help it absorb heat during the day and stay warm through the cold nights. That's pretty cool. The central bearded dragon has also surprised scientists with its ability to learn. What? Okay, see? Now, now I get a little bit scared. Because if these motherfuckers are learning, then these motherfuckers might be futuristic. Uh-huh. Humanoids? Yeah. Yeah, you know how like at one point we had like tools and, and rocks and, 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 and sticks and we were like oh, and then we did some mushrooms and then we're like whoa and then we're like oh if these motherfuckers can learn 
then we gotta be their friends. These are the aliens that we live with. These are real life aliens right here on Earth, I think. A type of alien. Because they're learning. And if we communicate with them, they're not extraterrestrial, but they are alien. You see the difference? The central bearded dragon has also surprised scientists with its ability to learn. In 2015, Anna Wilkinson, Wilkinson, Anna Wilkinson of the University of Lincoln in the UK and her colleagues found that the lizard could imitate a fellow dragon to complete a task, pushing the door open in a particular direction. Small steps for sure steps. I support the bearded dragon. I think I'd get a pet of him then, now that I think about it. They deserve to be free. Okay, another animal that lives on Earth that looks like a dragon is the shocking pink dragon millipede. The shocking tr pink dragon millipede, or Desmoxitus purpurosia, at the smaller end of the real dragon scale. Oh, okay. At the smaller end of the real dragon scale, the dragon millipede are found throughout Southeast Asia and named for the elaborate spiky protrusions or paranatha that are throughout this shield and their many legs. Whoa, that is cool. They look cool. They're like red. They're they're red and they, they're spiky. And they look like I wouldn't want to touch one. Let's see. One of the most striking species discovered in 2007 in Thailand, living in a limestone cavern. Researchers came across the shocking pink dragon millipede sitting in the leaf litter. A three centimeter long, it's one of the largest dragon millipedes. So there are other dragon millipedes. This is just the most, uh, I guess, colorful one. This millipede smells of almonds. Ooh, it might be delicious. They may not sound like an off-putting scent, but it's a uh, signature poison. Never mind. It might not be delicious. <laughs> like many other polydesmidala millipedes, the shocking pink dragon millipede produces hydrogen cyanide from its defensive glands. Its bright pink shade warns predators that it is toxic. Okay. More species of dragon millipede have, been, have since been discovered in Laos, the Philippines, and southern China. Whoa. So there's, there's, there's other ones. They may be colorful or they may be orange or colorful. <laughs> oh, here we go. The flying dragon or Draco Volance. Now this little guy looks cute. It's about this big and he's like spread up and he has like openings right here. <laughs> like a parachute? No, like, like a Parafly, what are those people called? Paragliding, yeah, like a paraglider. Let me see, paragliding, paraglider. Paragliding. No, not paragliding. What is it? Parachuting? No, not parachuting. Not hang gliding. Ah, what is it called? Free falling? Spelunking? Spelunking? Let me see. That's spelunking. Spelunking is when you go in the cave. Anyways, these dragons, let's see, hover, um, dropping from the sky. Without parachute. Let's see what comes up. Oh shit, people actually fall from the sky without parachute. Whoa, that took me off across. Dude, why are they doing that? That seems scary. Jump, jump off planes without parachutes. That's not what I was looking for. Anyways, hang gliding? Is that what it is? Hang gliding? Anyways, this little motherfucker looks cool. The flying dragon. For, for the purists that believe dragons should fly. <laughs> for the purists that believe dragons should fly. Meet the Draco genus of lizard. They are a true gliding reptile, an adaptation that serves them well in the tropical forests of Southeast Asia. Much like aircraft wings are built for struts with a membrane acro stretch across, these flying dragons have elegant ribs that support flap of the skin called the pedagia. This allows them to glide an average of 8 
meters as they jump between trees. Their slender tails act as a rubber as rooters for steering. Cool. That sounds pretty cool. Thanks to the specialized muscles, the dragon can deploy their wings at will or fold them against their body with not in use. The lizards are mottled brown color for camouflage, but their wings are often bright decorated. A courting male will extend his bright wings and flap out his throat to make himself appear bigger. I like this. They're not useless like antlers. Some animals develop antlers just because of mating. And their head gets all big and they start dying because they can't lift their head up. But hey, they got it in, right? This animal is like, hey, this actually is beneficial. So not only do I look sexy, but our kids are going to be surviving. I like that. I like when things meet like that. I'm not a big fan of animals developing extra colors like the peacock. It has no use for that. And the more colors it develops, the heavier it gets. It's not healthy for the peacock. You should look it up. Look, look this stuff up if you want to. If not, I'm going to look it up a little bit. I'm probably talking about it. I don't know. Right now, we're going through dragons. Giant pelletail dragonfly. Oh, my God. Do I love dragonflies. Not just because of the name dragonfly. Just because of how cool they are. They're like butterflies, but they're not like butterflies. And I love drawing them, too. I like you do like a long thing and then you do like the body and then you do like a wingspan and then another wingspan and then a little one right here and then a little one right there and then and then you have a dragonfly. They're so fun to draw. Dragonflies are found on every continent except Antarctica. I'm not surprised. Antarctica's cold. Insects and bugs don't really survive in that. Let's see. With around 5,000 species globally, OMG, dragonflies are on it. They're mating left and right. They're getting it. They're getting it. These black and yellow striped dragonflies live alongside rainforest streams. Their 12-centimeter long bodies have held aloft by the wingspan of 16 centimeters. So their bodies are 12 centimeters long and their wingspan is 16 centimeters long. Wow. Pelantails are thought to be the most ancient of dragonflies. Awesome! With a fossil recording dating back to the Jurassic. Damn! Wait, that's not how it goes. It goes... Wait, maybe I can't say it. Ah, jeeps. That's what it is. Experts on Western folklore have suggested that dragonflies were named for their dizzying aerial acrobatics which were throughout the Europeans that went which were throughout many Europeans and Middle Ages. They thought it was the devil's work. Dragons and the devil were synonymous at the time. Oh man, don't they get a bad rep. The slender insects were viewed with considerable suspicion. They were falsely accused of biting horses and even sewing up the eyes in the mouth of sleeping children. What? Come on. I don't like when things get bad reps. Dragonfly larvae do have fearsome reputation as voracious predators, using their highly modified mouth parts as a hydraulic grabber to lunge at prey. Most pelletail larvae develop in burrow besides rivers, where they wait for passing prey. Okay, that's pretty cool. Ooh, now a fish that looks like a dragon. This guy looks magical. Okay, this fish... It's called the Dragonets or the Salion Samidae. Salion Samidae. Oh, what was the Latin name for the giant pelletail dragonfly? It was Palalura ingetilissima. I gotta get better at my Latin. Okay, back to the fishes or the Mandarin fish. I am the Mandarin. Dragonets Saliosimidae. Tales of dragons aren't restricted to the land and air. In Asian mythology, dragons are often associated with water. And there are many sea animals that are named accordingly. Like these bad boys right here. They are blue with like gold and yellow trimmings. They're very colorful, very pretty fish. They're called the mandarin fish or dragonets. Some of the most attractive, attractive, some of the most attractive are dragons. Who is typing this? Making it so hard. BBC. Some of the most attractive are dragonets. Oh, I'm reading it wrong. Excuse me. Some of the most attractive are dragonets, tropical fish found in the Indonesia, Pacific, 
These little dragons are named for their large dorsal fins, which can resemble a spectacular articulated wings in species such as the Japanese dragonet and the Seychelles dragonet. Dragonets are found close to the seabed and many sport sandy colors to distinguish themselves from predators. However, the mandarin fish flaunts a psychedelic mix of electric blue and fierce orange to blend in with the colorful coral reef home in the Pacific. In 2013, scientists found that the mandarin fish have a unique pigment cells and can glow either blue or red. To protect itself from predators, the mandarin fish secretes toxin in the thick mucus that covers its body. This limey mucus is common among dragonets and has an unpleasant smell and taste. This could explain the name Australians have given to some of their local species as a stinky fish. Mm -hmm. That's pretty, pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. All right, next one is the black dragonfish. Oh my, this guy looks crazy. It's just a big old long fish, looks like an eel, and he has like a he has a big old mouth. Looks like a piranha mouth, and he has like a like a like a thing that sticks out of like a whisker, but it's not a whisker. It's probably like just a phalange or something. I don't know. The black dragonfish or Indicatus atlanticus. Atlanticus is he from Atlantis? Indicatus atlanticus reminds me of Atticus from the. Lovecraft tale, or the Lovecraft country, which is a good show. Atticus, call him Tick, Tick, Tick UFO. Everything's connected. Oh my god. The black dragonfish looks like the grimiest of fairy tale villains with a long black body of terrifying fang like fish. They do! They look, have you ever seen The Little Mermaid and like the eels that hang out with, um, what's her name, Minerva or the octopus lady? They look like that. The black dragonfish looks like that. It is a deep sea fish living. As much as 2,000 meters below the surface of the Atlantic Ocean, it's uniquely adapted to the darkness, cold, and extreme pressure found at such depths. That's a lot of pressure. Imagine all that water on top of you, bro. How do you survive? These animals are... Animals are cool. Animals are super cool. If you don't like animals, you don't love yourself, kind of. Think about it. I'm drinking some delicious coffee. You're tuning into the Edgardo podcast. And I'm talking about dragons. I'm talking about dragons, UFOs. And next, I'm going to talk about the supernatural and our affinity to not let it go. Our affinity to keep pushing it. And by keep pushing it, I mean keep like pushing it. You know what I mean? Like you're pushing these thoughts and this imagination and, 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 and this investigation. And you, you want to yeah, you want to tear it open and do some more research and compare facts, you know? We're pushing it. We, we're, we're pushing forward as a society. And if we don't discover a dragon, we might end up creating little dinosaurs with chickens. Did you hear about that? Scientists are connecting dinosaur DNA and ancient DNA with chickens. And they're, they're trying to create like a little Jurassic Park type of thing with chickens and, and turkeys. And they're just mixing the blood of fowl with the blood of reptile. This is happening right now, somewhere in the world. I'll get to the bottom of this. All right, but back to the animals that look like dragons. We got two more. The next one that looks kind of like a dragon kind of looks like an alien. Oh my, what is this? Okay, this guy's blue. And he's called the blue dragon, Newt de Branch, or Placus Atlanticus, or another Atlanticus. Okay, so are these animals from Atlanta? Did, it, did Atlantis exist? Atlantis is real, bro. Atlantis is real. Okay, here we go. The blue dragon, Nubidu Branch, Nudie Branch. The blue dragon, Nudie Branch, is a kind of sea slug. Okay, a sea slug. Okay, I can see it. It's like, it's like a slug, but it has like, it has like hands, it has like, Pendages, you know, and then it also has like bottom pendages, but then it seems like it has like fins, and it's like the pendages are dorsal fins, and it's blue. It's a little bit pink at the end. I guess that's where he eats. That's where his mouth is, and it's like a dark blue shade next to the light blue shade. It looks pretty freaking alienish. 
Species have been found washed up the shore of Australia, Africa, Southeast U.S., and recently have been appearing along the eastern coast of India. Something happened deep underwater, and all the oils are seeping out. And after the oil seeped out, then all these ancient creatures of Atlantis have come out to explore. And now they're coming out to dominate again. We must unite with these creatures. Make the aliens our friends. Rather than flying, this marine dragon floats on its back whenever the wind takes it. Oh, look at him. Going with the wind. Not just with the breeze. Like a real dragon. Just don't overthink it. Just do it. Have fun with it. Things will show up. Things will manifest. Okay. Uh, let's see. And travels to the surface tension of the water, using a bubble of air in its stomach for buoyancy. It evades predators by appearing silver to fish below and blue to birds above. Cool. Up to 84 finger-like ceteras. Okay, they're called cerata. Cerata? Ceteras. Cerata. Yeah, cerata. They grow out of the sea slug's body in a feathery wing-like projection. Cool. This animal so far is my, this is a cool, I think my favorite one besides the dragonfly. I mean, I like the Komodo dragon. Komodo dragons are cool. The dragon snake seems cool. The bearded dragon seems cool. The shocking pink dragon millipede. The flying dragon. The giant pelletile dragonfly. Then the dragonets and the black dragonfish. They all seem cool. But right now the blue dragon, newbie branch, is, is going after my heart. With its power to Look like water from above and look like white from below. It it it's it that that kind of something about that gave me like touched my heart a little bit. I like that. And I like the fact that it has like fingers, but they're not fingers and they're not like wings and they're not like feathers. This animal seems pretty crazy cool. And it's from Atlantis, I think. I believe. I feel like it is. Okay. They have earned Comparisons with angels and swallows, but these wings are more aptly linked to ferocious dragons. They contain weapons taken from sea slugs prey, an infamous Portuguese man of war. What does that mean? Okay, I clicked on man of war and it says errors not found. What? Let me Google search Portuguese man of war. <laughs> I'm going to read that over again, see if I read that right. Up to 84 finger-like serrata grown out of from the sea slug's body in a feathery wing-like projectiles. They have earned comparisons with angels and swallows, but these wings are more aptly linked to ferocious dragons. They contain weapons taken from the sea slug prey. The infamous Portuguese men of war. I guess they're called the Portuguese men of war? Yeah, yes, that's what they're called. They're called Portuguese men of war. Wow! There's different pictures. Okay, I'm seeing other pictures of these motherfuckers. They're from the kingdom Animalia, Philium Sidardia, the class Hydroza, order Sophinophora, suborder Cytoceta, family Phylacilidae, genesis Physalia, species P. Phasalias. Phasalias, Phasalias. Mm. Synonyms, family level synonyms. Oh, they're just showing you other fishes that are like them. These guys are cool. So, these, these guys have really long feathery tentacle type things. Whoa. They're responsible for up to 10,000 human stings in Australia each summer. Oh my. They're kind of like jellyfish almost then. The Portuguese Man of War. Okay, that's the other one that looks like it. Okay, so basically what they're saying is that the Blue Dragon Nubi branch is related to the Portuguese Man of War. They're both kind of the same type, same type. Oh, of course, the last one is my favorite. Oh, I should have waited. Okay, this guy has my heart, but the last one's my favorite. I already got a glimpse of the last one. I won't give it away. The creature tentacles contain sting cells that paralyze fish and deliver searing pain to un wary swimmers. The blue dragon eats the tentacles and transforms the sting cells to specialized pouches for its own defense. It may only grow up to 3 centimeters long, but it can punch far above its weight. This guy's strong. He's like a little Bruce Lee. Okay. 
Now, of course, my favorite, hands down, of the whole is, is about to come up. But before it comes up, what do you think it is? Remember, this is BBC.com, 10 real-life animals that actually look like dragons. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Okay, I give up. I mean, I won't let you think about it no more. It's the weedy sea dragon. Sea dragons. The various species of Syngathiadi family. Or Palopentherix tenticatalacus. Tentinalacus. Jeebers, man. These Latin names are insane. Don't be fooled, though. The sea dragons are fish. What? They don't look like fish. They look like sea dragons. Remember Seahorse from Pokemon? That's, or, or Sea Dragon from Pokemon, I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's how they look. Only they're yellow. This one looks yellow. And there's different types. There's different types. They're part of the Singathia family. If you look at the Singathia family, you can find different types of sea dragons. Okay. They are related to seahorses, but rather more flamboyant. The newest species to science... The newest piece of science is the ruby sea dragon, which was discovered in early 2015. I love the fact that scientists are still discovering new species out there. Is a lot of life. And scientists are like, bro, let's go find out how they're all connected. Okay, I right-click on ruby sea dragon. And now I'm going to look it up. And let's see what comes up. Look at this bad boy right here. He's pretty. The ruby sea dragon. From the kingdom Animalia, the phylum Karata, the class Atsipotergi, order is Singataforms, family is Singataidae, genesis is Pylopetrix, and the species is P. Ducey. There's also a leafy sea dragon. Let me see that. Oh, that's beautiful. And then, of course, the Old school sea dragon that I'm looking at right now. Okay, a little bit more about these sea dragons. Both are named for fleshy appendages that mimic seaweeds to disguise them from predators. And they're not only found in southern Australia. Josephine Stiller of the Scripps Institute of Oceanography in La Jolla, California, and her colleagues took tissue samples from the sea dragon from this area and found that they weren't quite they weren't quite as expected. Eventually, they found that the species there were studying had subtly different skeleton, suggesting they belonged to a new species. Whoa. Whoa. The ruby sea dragon was named for its bright red color and may live at a lower depth where red and orange light is rapidly absorbed, making its color effective in camouflage. But that is cool. So there are fish, but they're like a subclass of, sub, subclass of fish or a different class of fish. Ooh, that sounds awesome. The ruby sea dragon was named for its bright red colors. Okay, we got that already. Stiller's team has since examined the records of the Western Australia Museum and found other species that washed up on the Perth beach almost a century ago. The story suggests that there are more dragon species to be discovered. That is cool. Thank you, BBZ, for that story. That is pretty neat, man. So these animals are awesome. These are cool, cool animals. And they exist among us. And they look like the most like dragons. So maybe people back in the day saw these creatures and they weren't scientists. And because they weren't scientists, they just jumped the gun and said, these are mystical, mythical creatures and they're dragons. And then legends were born after that. I guess that's how it goes, right? When you can't explain something, you just, you do your best to communicate. Oh, yeah, the Stars lost the Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, man. Hey, the Cowboys, they're doing good, though. And a side note, the Mavericks made it to the playoffs. The Stars made it to the finals. Dallas has a really good sports team. Let's type in Dallas. Supernatural, and then let's type in Dallas. Let's see, um, what is it? Folklore? No, not folklore. Let's do something better. 
Dallas. Mm, there's a word that I'm looking for. I'll come back to it. Let's see what Dallas Supernatural pulled up. There's a Dallas Supernatural convention. Oh, that's cool. We should go to that. I definitely want to go to that. It's about the TV show Supernatural, though. Ah, my, my. Supernatural. Edge is a TV show. I want to talk about the real Supernatural stuff, like things that you can explain, like witches and wizards and Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> okay. That's not what I was looking for. Let's type in folklore. See what that comes up. See what comes up with Dallas folklore. Urban legends. That's what I was looking for. Boom. Dallas urban legends. All right. It is about 46 minutes in to the Edgardo podcast. I'm going over things that we can't let go of. And the things that we can't let go of in my book are UFOs or aerial phenomenon. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. A U A P's. Unidentified aerial phenomenons. Not UFOs anymore. They're calling them different names now. Because the unknown aerial phenomenons are real. UFOs are just hey, UFOs. Shut up. But what I'm talking about is we can't let go of this. We cannot let go of the fact that we want to know what's out there. Another thing we want to know about is dragons. Are they real? Did they really exist? Was there some dragons in Mexico? What are those pictures that the Incas and the Mayans and the Aztecs put on their walls? And then there's dragons in Egypt. Was there dragons in Europe? Was there dragons in Asia? Are they real? And then the last one that I'm talking about right now is supernatural. These are things that our brain just like, it's cool. You know, it's not like a day-to-day -day job. It's, it's, it's about exploring the unknown. So right now, to end up this episode, or to bring this episode back home, we're going to go over eight urban legends in Texas that will keep you awake at night. Someone has joined the show. What up, Papi? What up, Jimmy? Okay, check this out. Eight urban legends in Texas that will keep you awake at night. Oh, I know number one. Everybody knows number one. La Llorona. Now, what's the classic story of La Llorona? Um... I know the story as I remember. Let me see. Before I read it, let's see how I remember it. I remember that this lady had some kids. No, this is all I remember. Apparently, this lady was like betrayed by somebody. Um, she was going to get married or, or something. And she was like heartbroken. I remember her being heartbroken. And so she decided to take her life, I think. And her and her kids' life, and they went in. They went into the into the into the lake, and she just killed herself and the kids, and she just drowned herself. And then that happened. Like that was a happening that happened. She was heartbroken. She said, "Fuck the world," and she she said, "Kids, you're coming with me because this world sucks." And she killed herself with her two kids. And then you would visit. I think it's White Rock Lake or. Yeah, White Rock Lake, the one right here by Lakewood. You would visit there at night and you would hear like scratching on your car, you know? Sometimes even like pulses like that, like she's scratching at your car or something. And she would get you or she would kill you or something. I don't know. I really don't know. That's just something that I remember. And then. I don't know, you would go to the mirror and turn the lights off and say, La Llorona, La Llorona, La Llorona, and then flush the toilet, and then she would appear. She was like a Mexican boogeyman, kind of. But she was more vindictive. She was going after people that were in love or something like that. Now, let's see what the report, according to onlyinyourstate.com. Almost every Latin culture knows the story of La Llorona. The people of El Paso have no exception to that. They named La Llorona the crier, which is perfectly described at the behavior of this angry spirit. Part banshee, part house, and part full creepy. Wait, part banshee, part horse, and part fully creepy? 
La Riona hunts the riverbanks of Rio Grande, searching in vain for her two children that she stabbed and threw into the river after her wealthy boyfriend told her he didn't want to marry her because of her children. Okay, so I kind of got the story kind of right, kind of wrong. Apparently, according to this onlyinyourstate.com, she's looking for her two children that she stabbed and she threw in the river because her boyfriend said that she did not want to marry her because of her children. So she said, fuck my kids, will you marry me now? And he didn't. And now she's like, oh, I did something bad. So it's not that she's vindictive towards lovers. She's just sad that she did what she did, I guess. After killing them, the woman went back to her lover's home, still wearing her bloody nightgown, to show him that she was willing to do what she had to do to be with him. Whoa, I was not impressed either. But heavily disturbed and immediately ended her relationship. The guy did a good thing. That's like a big red flag. Homegirl shows up with fucking like all this blood. I'm out, bro. I'm out. All right. We're going to ch chime in on anybody out there. Okay, cool. We got about a minute and 40 seconds before the live stream goes off. And then you can listen to the rest of my podcast at anchor.com, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are available. Remember, today we're going over things that we can't let go of. The supernatural. The UFOs and what are they called? Unidentified aerial phenomenons and dragons. We already talked about real life dragons. Now we're talking about real life urban legends here in Dallas that people share and people believe in. And La Llorona is one of them. But apparently she haunts in the Rio Grande Valley. The story goes in two different directions here. As some people believe that she stabbed herself and drowned in the river, while others think an angry mob of people came along and threw her into the Rio Grande Valley. Damn. The heartbroken woman died and her spirit comes back to look for her children. Soon after her death, people began to hear a wailing sound coming from the river and some even have reported seeing a figure wearing a bloody nightgown. As punishment for her unforgivable sins, she was given the head of a horse. To this day, people are warned about going to the river at night, saying that Leorona will force you to stay there and keep her company. What? That is trippy. Okay. So, if you want to hear the rest of the urban legends here in Dallas, go to my podcast. For now, it was awesome for you to join in. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Poppy. Shout out to you guys for checking me out for a little bit. You have a good day and namaste, brothers. Namaste, sisters. The donkey lady, that's number two. Similar to the Yorona in the sense that a young woman was in the fire or she started arguing with her husband and she lost her two children in the fire. Anyway, the woman became tragically disfigured. Her skin drooping, fingers turning into dark stumps or hoofs. Instead of a horse head, she was given a donkey head. And some people have reported seeing her along the creek, angry and looking for revenge. One person claimed that the deformed creature even climbed on top of her hood and smashed the windshield, all while screaming and snarling rage. That's legend number two from onlyinyourstate.com of the urban legends here in Texas that might keep you up at night. Oh my God, let's go to the next one. Number three, Hell's Gate at the River Legacy Park. I didn't know that we had a gate to hell here in Texas. Look at this. In Arlington, deep in the forest of the River Legacy Park, you will find an ancient trail surrounded by boggy swamps and overhanging trees. At the end of this trail, there's supposedly a large dirt mount in the exact spot where members of the Union Army were executed. If you dare to venture to that spot, you will find parts of the post that once formed a gate that opened to a tree where the prisoners were hanged. Because of all the tormented spirits still lurking here, it was deemed Hell's Gate. If you walk along the trail, you can still hear the desperate cries and prayers of men and women who took their last steps on earth here. Dude, I want to go. That one seems like, I'm going to write this down. Arlington River Legacy Park. You can go explore that today if you live in Dallas or in Arlington or in the surrounding suburbs of Dallas, Texas. Fort Worth, Texas as well. Okay, number four. Onlyinyourstate.com says that these stories will keep you up at night. Urban legends from Texas. Number four. The White Lady of Rio Frio. This story involves the making of a classic haunting 
complete with love, betrayal, and heartache. The White Lady of Rio Frio can supposedly be seen today as a strange wisp of long near the Rio River in a small community of Rio Frio. The story dates back to 1900s when Maria Juarez and her sister lived in the canyon. There were two of the most beautiful senoritas in the land, and Maria hoped to find a loving husband to have children with, as her older sister had. Her sister was married to a man named Gregorio, and they had several children together. As Maria grew older, Gregorio couldn't help but notice the beauty of the young woman. But he couldn't have her since he was married to her sister and already had children. However, Maria's overwhelming beauty also caught the eye of a young vaquero named Aselmo Tovar. He began to court Maria, bringing her flowers and professing his love for her. She knew that soon she would be married and have a life she longed for. One summer afternoon, Gregorio pulled her aside and, to her surprise, confessed his feelings about her. Gregorio, you have your own person. You have your own girl. Come on, man. He merely scoffed and told him she loved Aselmo and that they would soon be married. This made Gregorio, guess what, very angry, and his tempered scared Maria. She feared for her sister and her children, but ran to the safety of her home, where she waited for Anselmo to visit her later. When she heard a noise outside that night, she assumed it was Anselmo and went outside to greet him. Unfortunately, it was Gregorio, armed with a pistol and a broken heart. He fired a shot straight into her heart, and she died right there, never having the children or husband she wanted. Bro, what a bitter man. What a bitter, bitter man. Her spirit is a kindly one. And people have said she will cover a child in the cold night or just sit by their bed to protect them. Many claim to have seen a woman dressed in all white roaming the canyon, but no one knows how long her spirit will stay there. The White Lady of Rio Frio. Damn, that story doesn't really keep me up at night. That story makes me sad for that girl. She got killed by some motherfucker that didn't know how to not be loved. Like, not have, he wasn't happy from the end. He was not a happy camper. He just wanted to make people's lives miserable, apparently. He had a wife. He had children. Isn't that enough? You already got what you wanted. If you didn't want that, why go for it? Anyway. Number five. According to Only in Your State, these are the urban legends that will keep you up at. That's onlyinyourstate.com. Okay. The Bragg Lights. Perhaps one of the most famous tales of East Texas. Many people drive down the gravel longing road late at night in hopes of seeing the bright lights. But many argued that if it was swamp gas, wouldn't there be more brush fires reported in the big thicket? The most popular story regarding this legend is that the ghost is that of a railroad worker who was decapitated in an accident while at work. The lights are from his lantern as he forever searches for his head. I myself have seen mysterious lights on this road and they always appear and disappear very quickly. We can't say for certain what caused the lights. Dude, Kristen Lawrence wrote this article. That means she visited that place. Creepy. I didn't really like that one. That one kind of boring. Okay, number six, El Muerto. According to OnlyYourState.com, written by Kristen Lawrence in 2015, she says that the story goes of a man named Vidal. A Mexican bandit and horse thief stole horses from the ranch of Texas Rangers Creed Taylor in 1848. He soon discovered the horse were missing and took off with a neighbor who had also lost horse in order to find the thief. Also, a ranger, he had a lot of experience and little forgiveness when it came to horse thieves. Soon after their search began, they found the horse thief and killed them all. So there was more than one horse thief. There was horse thieves and they killed them all. Okay, so what does that have to do with El Muerto, right? Okay, Bigfoot cut off Vidal's head and mounted his body firmly on the saddle of a wild Mustang. He also put his decapitated head in a sombrero and, sec and secured it with a strap attaching it to the saddle. A wild Mustang roamed South Texas, scaring everyone who encountered it. The duo was named El Muerto and was blamed for all sorts of misfortune. A small group untied the man from the saddle freeing the horse from the grizzly rider, though the corpse was shot many times with both bullets and arrows and buried in a small cemetery. People still claim to see a headless horseman wearing the plains late at night. What? It's like a ripoff of the headless horseman of Marto. People just come up with stories, don't they? Okay, here's one that I remember as a kid. Number seven, the blood-sucking chupacabra. This one's like the shortest one. Well, number eight is Bigfoot of Texas. 
There's a Bigfoot of Texas. Can you believe that? Okay, number seven. The chupacabra or goat sucker is well-known legend in Latin America countries. However, many Texans have reported seeing a four-foot-tall creature with spikes, claws, and scaly skin ravaging their ranches and killing thousands of goats and other farm animals. The livestock have been found with strange puncture wounds and their bodies fully drained of blood. Yum. Chupacabras. I remember that as a kid. Kind of creeped me out a little bit. I think the Chupacabra was my first introduction into the supernatural. I, if I remember correctly, the Chupacabra was the first time ever that I was like, oh my God, I'm already having troubles dealing with human beings. Now I got to deal with creature beings. And I remember there's a show in Mexico called Otro Rollo back in the day. And in the show Otro Rollo, they would have guests. And one of the guests was Jaime Maussan. And he would talk about UFOs and Chupacabras and I was into it. I'm like, let's find out. Let's get to the end of it. Let's find out what's real and what's fake. Bigfoot sightings have been reported all over the world, including in Texas. People have claimed to see a large, hairy, ape-like creature in the big thicket along the Brazos River in Robertson County and many other places. We have a Texas Bigfoot Research Center to investigate all the Bigfoot sightings throughout the state. So it's, is it just a legend? Or is there really a prehistoric hairy creature lurking deep in the woods of Texas? I'll leave that up to you to decide. Cool. So there's a Texas Bigfoot Research Center. Let's Google that real quick. See what comes up. Wow, look at this. The Texas Bigfoot Research Center. Charles DeVore, a field researcher at the Texas Bigfoot Research Center, hunts for creatures near Jefferson, Texas in October 2005. The Lone Star State boasts one of the highest counts of Bigfoot sightings in the country. I was not aware of that Texas has one of the highest counts of Bigfoot sightings. I know that there's sightings of monkeys or chimpanzees or some type of primate in the swamps near Houston, but I did not know that there was a Bigfoot research. There's a conference coming up. What? I want to go. The Texas Bigfoot Conference, October 16th through 18th, 2020. Bigfoot presentation, physical evidence, track cast, and more. Whoa. That is cool. I'm going to hit them up. There is a Facebook page. And they are doing the in Jefferson, Texas. How far is Jefferson, Texas from us? Hey, Siri. Take me to Jefferson, Texas. Okay, I'm giving directions to Jefferson, Texas from Mesquite, Texas. Let me find out how far that is. It's a... If I leave right now, I would get there by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, it's on the corner of Louisiana, Arkansas, and Texas. I kind of want to go. I kind of want to go to that conference. I'm going to reach out to them after the show and see if they're willing to um, do some sort of cross-promotion. Dude, look at this. On October 5, author, illustrator Jason McLean discovers Dallas Demons, Fort Worth Goatman, and other terrors in the Trinity River. Oh, I got to interview him. Oh, I got to interview him. Okay, I'm going to like that. And I'm going to share it on my Facebook right now so you can see. I'm also going to share the Bigfoot Conference so you can see it as well on my Facebook. Facebook.com, Edgardo. You can find me on Facebook. And I'm going to do my best to get to that conference. And I'm going to do my best to talk to Jason McLean, who discovered the Dallas Demons, Fort Worth Goldman, and other terrors in the Trinity River. I'm going to get him on the show so we can talk to him. Dude, this was a good episode. I got to talk about things that I like, things that are creepy, and things that we don't want to give up on. We do not want to give up on this idea that there's more out there in this reality than what meets the eye. We as humans want to explore, want to discover, want to unite. We're seeking the truth. We're staying busy. I wonder, like, the more you push towards something that you want, the more it becomes real. Does that make sense? As I enjoy my coffee, I'm thinking about the fact that that could be real. The idea that fake it till you make it? Well, what if we're faking these sightings and faking these big stuff but then the more we fake it the more we're like wait a minute we're making it real by thinking or believing in it 
The simple fact that we believe in this stuff is making it real. Wouldn't that be something? Anyways, I'm going to wrap up the show. Fun time talking about this crazy stuff. Going over the dragon list of what a real life dragon is. Not breathing fire, not maybe flying. Some of them just hover on the air. The fact that these are crazy animals that resemble dragons was pretty cool. And we don't call them UFOs no more, people. That's an old term. UFOs is not the term we call them unidentified aerial phenomenons. It's a mouthful. So that's what we talked about today. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back on Thursday and we'll do maybe another live stream. We'll see what happens. But Thursday, tune in to see if I was able to communicate with Jason McLean. And I'm going to do my best, like I said, to go see the Texas Bigfoot Conference on October 16th through the 18th, 2020. Jefferson, Texas, the Bigfoot capital of Texas. Dr. Maria Mayer, Shelley Covington, Montana, Leisha Fisher, Leila Blackburn, Ken Gerhardt, and Ed Owens. Produced by Craig Wolher in association with the city of Jefferson. TexasBigfootConference.com. Poster art by D.W. Bindendell. Well, that's pretty cool. Cool. Well, let me go do some research. Let me get in contact with these new people. And I'll let you know Thursday what happened. And on Thursday, we'll talk about life. We'll talk about some new stuff. See if we can get a guest in here. And just keep the ball rolling on the Edgardo podcast. Talking about things that I like to talk about. Talking about pop culture, supernatural. And just getting to know everybody out there in the real world. Stay happy from within. Stay productive. Namaste and have a good day. Toodles. Aliens, a monster, a cat with no hair, a supernatural bear. Do I really, really care? I passed an air to my girlfriend Claire. So please don't stare as she comes down the stairs. You see, she's aware and I really do care. You see, for my birthday, she got me low fares and a chair for my lair. Ha! Tonight's date. Is at the fair, so why do you head out? We'll meet you there. With a crown on my hair, I feel like a stout. I'm jamming out, share, no doubt. The podcast keen is it's there. Cause here. anywhere without a tea is here, um, not no. hair. Nair. You get yeah. it? Yeah. Uh-uh. Hair? I don't. Like oh, a bunny? Oh. Yeah, I get it. I Staying get it. lucky? Uh-huh. Don't be funny? Alright, bye. Alright, that's it for now. Yo, hugs and kisses. Namaste. And the Edgardo podcast was produced by Edgardo. That's me!